I'm here today with Elizabeth Hagen. Elizabeth is the author of a new book titled Brave Church, Tackling Tough Topics Together. She's an ecumenical pastor at heart who has most recently served the Palisades Community Church in Washington, D.C. as senior minister. Though first ordained as an American Baptist, Elizabeth has also served United Methodist, United Church of Christ, Presbyterian USA, and Disciples of Christ congregations in various pastoral roles. She's a graduate of Samford University and Duke Divinity School. She previously authored Birthed, Finding Grace Through Infertility, and also serves as Executive Director of Our Courageous Kids, a foundation serving young adults who grew up in international orphanages with educational and mental health support. So Elizabeth, thanks so much for joining us today. It's really a pleasure to uh, get to speak with you. Thank you for having me today, Brian. Sure. So you've got quite an electric uh, denominational background, um, <laughs> which is great to see. I'm, I'm, I'm a big supporter of, of that, quite frankly. But um, maybe you can tell us more about your background than I briefly touched on. Sure. Yeah, I, I think, you know, women in ministry, um, especially women who feel called to pastor and to preach, which I have for a long time, uh, they have to kind of make their own way <laughs> and uh, go where there are opportunities um, to serve. Um, I think I'm a free church person at heart. And so I kind of get into these more systematic denominations from time to time. And they say, why don't you stay? And I say, no, I have somewhere else to go. But I think my ministry has, has both been about the local church and also about connecting with wider ministries and organizations. Um, I've done this not only personally, but as, as a, we've done it as a family. My husband, Kevin, and I have done work together um, he previously was the CEO of Feed the Children and of the American Diabetes Association. And as part of that, we, we did a lot of traveling and advocating on behalf of people that were struggling both with illness and also with hunger and um, education issues. And um, so right now, um, I am just amazed that my life has taken this turn into writing. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not something that I grew up thinking, well, one day I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to publish a book. Um, it began for me when I went through an infertility journey alongside my husband for many years. And I was a pastor of a local congregation at the time and really seeking out spiritual resources of, of people who would understand not only what it's like to go through infertility, there's tons of books on that, but what it's like to spiritually engage a process of longing for something and not having that longing fulfilled. And so what I found was there was not the book that I wanted to read on the market. And so I, I had these friends says, well, why don't you write a book? And from that, um, my, my journey into being an author began. And I think once you realize that you can connect with a wider audience and share things that you know they're important, uh, you kind of are hooked and you, you want to keep doing it because you believe in what you have to offer and I think where my ministry has landed these days is that I know that my calling is to invite open-hearted Christians to engage in difficult conversations that foster a sense of belonging and acceptance. Um, the people that I've been a privilege to be their pastor have often been people who have been rejected by traditional church or traditional patriarchal, um, sexist, homophobic models of church. Um, and I think the topics that I'm really passionate writing on are topics that help people feel less excluded and help people know that God loves them and that there's a place for them in the family of God. Wow. Well, good for you. I mean, uh, we have a lot of interests in common, which is always wonderful to, uh, to hear. Yeah. Uh, so uh, 
I am always fascinated um, how people get their first book deals because it's so, you know, different, unique. Everyone's story is unique and sometimes convoluted. So uh, how did that come about for you? Well, I think uh, the, the thing that I started doing, not because I was thinking, well, this will help me get a book deal one day, but just because I had all this, all these words in me that I wanted to share was I started a blog, you know, back in the day, right? When everybody yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and I was, I had just become the senior minister of Washington Plaza Baptist Church in Reston, Virginia, which was a dream come true for me. I think I cried the whole first week, not because of anything other than I was just so happy because I had grown up in the Southern Baptist faith where women in my church are not even allowed to be ushers. And here I was, this little girl who had this calling to, to speak, and women weren't allowed to do that. And I went through my own journey to realize that it was okay for me to have a calling to be a pastor. And, and, and then when I was in seminary, people said, well, you'll never pastor a Baptist church. That's not going to be possible. And I was 28. I was 28 and got this um, amazing opportunity to pastor. And so I wanted to really chronicle that journey, and that's where the blog came from. I was preacher on the plaza back when people didn't want to use their real names on the internet. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I was musings of a seminary student before that, but anyway. Uh, wow. <laughs> well, good for you for, you know, having the courage to do it at that point. Yeah. And so, and from that, and then I started um, writing um, for local um, papers or I started writing in denominational journals or online online sources and people really took to it. And I said, well, maybe there's something here because that I'm, I'm speaking something that other people want to hear or just need someone to say. And, um, and then I was invited by several folks that maybe you might know, Carol Howard Merritt became a colleague of mine in the DC area. She invited me to join a writing group with her Oh, good. and some other um, pastors. They're all women. And we met um, before she left town to go somewhere else, but we met every week or every other week um, for a long time. And, and I just was so encouraged by this group of, of passionate writers. Uh, they, they read my um, essays that I would bring in uh, to our group and they were so compassionate and kind and, but also thoughtful saying, well, maybe you should work on your verb tense. <laughs> or maybe you should, um, you know, reorganize these essays in some different ways, or maybe no one really wants to hear a published sermon or whatever it was at the time. <laughs> you know, real good truth. And, um, you know, I, I got more confidence through that process and got to the point, you know, finally where I had written um, our infertility story and, and had a book proposal and began sharing that. And um, it was Chalice Press that published that. And I was, very thankful for their enthusiasm about that project. And, um, you know, it was, it was a good first um, publishing experience. Good, good, good. Well, yes. I mean, Carol has uh, spoken at our conferences before. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I have a great uh, relationship with the Chalice Press folks also. And so, um, so you just approached them directly. You didn't have an agent or anything like that. Is that how it worked out? No, I mean, I had, there were some other folks I had sent the proposal to, but I really think that there's value in creating community with not only other authors and other people in the publishing industry, but also with potential publishers before you, you're not just cold, cold sending a proposal, you know, 
uh, Brad at Chalice Press is someone I'd spoken to before. We had some things in common. So it wasn't so much of like, well, who is this girl, Elizabeth Hagen, you know, when he got my proposal that it was something that he was expecting and, and looking forward to, to reading and it worked this, out. This industry is all about relationships. It is, it is. Building relationships and networking. It's just so incredibly useful. And I think you really need good writer friends. Um, the person who connected us today was um, Dana Trent. She right. and I went to Divinity School together and she's my go-to friend. We've kind of been all along the same journey in many ways. Um, Dana's just awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, together. And I find so much encouragement with having friends to call and say, okay, is this normal? Or, <laughs> you know, should I do, should I do this differently? Or, or who should I call? And, you know, we're always looking out for each other. Well, you know, have you considered this or let me connect you to this person. And um, I, I think once you realize that your calling is in a writing space that you, you know, different from a pastoral space, um, you have to really have your, your new community there of, of folks that are going to go the journey with you of, of what comes next. And um, speaking of which, uh, Joanna Kennedy, Joanna yeah. Bradley Kennedy um, from Upper Room Books is a good friend and spoken at several of our conferences too. Yeah. And um, your new book uh, is coming out from Upper Room. So uh, why don't we talk about that? Yeah. I mean, and that's how um, Brave Church came to be. I was at Wild Goose um, festival, I think it was in 2017. And I'd, I'd heard of her um, uh, from my friend Dana, but I met her and we were able to have a conversation and, and I was able to bounce some ideas off of her of what I was thinking about writing next. And I remember I went back to my hotel that night and I didn't sleep very well. It was like, I was planning the book in my head <laughs> and that's what became Brave Church. I, wow. I, I knew- I knew from that and I was really happy to approach her and say, you know, you were the first person I wanted to come to with this project because you really helped me um, begin um, really concretely thinking about this. So, yeah. Wow, very cool. So, so let's talk more about uh, Brave Church specifically. Yeah. How's, it, how's it structured? How, how's uh, the book organized? Well, let me tell you why I wrote Brave Church because it has something to do with okay, um, sure. my um, last book, which was, you know, when authors publish, right, they go on a marketing journey of speaking with a variety of sources or congregations in my case. And when I was out talking about birth, um, you know, I was calling colleagues and friends saying, you know, can I come speak at your group or whatever. And I was invited on several occasions to come. But then when the day got closer of my speaking engagement, what happened was they said to me, could you please not talk about infertility? Oh, and my. That's what my book's about. They're like, well, we just don't think that's this is that relatable to our audience. You know, we have a lot of older people, or you know, it's just a little taboo. And I'm like, well, that's the whole point. (laughs) So you know, you in marketing, simply of yours, like you have to get creative, right? Like I knew I just didn't want to like stop promoting my book. So I thought, well, what can I do that I can talk about it without people knowing that I'm talking about it? So what that looked like for me was I developed these workshops called um, unsilencing the grief that we don't, you know, grief we don't talk about in church. So I would, I went to several conferences um, where that's what I was talking with new friends about. And I asked them, what in your church do you not talk about? I know that people don't want to talk about infertility personally, (laughs) but what else do people not talk, don't want to talk about? And I heard all kinds of things from 
you know, uh, things that are included in Brave Church and things that are not, you know, from, you know, my son's in prison and I can't talk about it. Or, you know, I'm really struggling um, with um, a situation. My daughter is experiencing domestic violence or I'm not welcome at my church because I'm gay or whatever it was. And I realized that the church actually needed more tools to help open up dialogue so that people felt like they could talk about these quote taboo topics that we could understand that God is a part of all of these situations, especially because if we believe that God is close to us and experiences a pain and grief, if we don't talk about them, in fact, we're losing an opportunity to feel connection to God. And so um, that's really, I was, what got a bee in my bonnet about Brave Church was I knew that it wasn't just infertility when we weren't talking about, it was so much more. Good for you. Good for you. Well, I mean, part of the motivation that I had in launching how to heal our vides was that when I was doing all this reading last year during the pandemic, uh, a lot of good books about, you know, rate anti-racism, political divide issues, religious divide issues. And, but so many of them were kind of like, okay, this is the history behind this, or, you know, this is why it's an issue. Um, everyone should look inside themselves to understand their own biases, all really good things but very little written about, okay, what do we do about it? Right, right. No, so I love the fact that your approach is what do we do about it? You know, right. actually right. confronting issues that need to be addressed. Right, and so what I did was I began, um, I encountered this really amazing resource um, that came out of New York University. It was two social justice educators that um, began to see that conversations in their setting were not moving forward because, you know, this whole idea of safe space. We like to be around people that make us feel good and make us feel um, comfortable. And, you know, in many ways, that's what church is for so many, um, as an aside. But anyway, what they noticed is we, these conversations in their school, we're not moving forward. And so they came up with this whole idea of brave space. And they had a different whole set of rules that was different from, you know, our common you know, keep the confidentiality, agree to disagree kind of ideas that come with any sort of small group setting. And they said, let's make some intentional space. Let's call it brave. And these are some things that we feel like need to happen if this is going to be a brave space and created this whole plan that worked really well, they said, for their setting. And so I read this article and I was like, da, 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 this is what we need to do in church. Like, could we set aside some intentional time where we call the space different? We call it brave. And we begin to start talking about things, even if it's just a uttering the word racism, which I found is difficult in some settings. You know, if we just begin to open up um, these conversations with some intentionality and some covenant around how we're going to interact with one another, um, that's, that's what Brave Church became, a, a real tool to say, here, try this and do this and see what happens in your congregation. For me, what happened is I was teaching it as I was writing it, which was really wonderful feedback for me. Good, good. In my yeah. church, we had a whole summer where we were just doing Bray Church. And, you know, the results for us um, were really cool. Like, for example, one thing that happened, you know, in most churches, you know, there's prayer request time of some sort, joys and concerns. 
And most of the time, those things in my church, the way they are almost every church in America, you know, pray for my aunt Sally who has cancer or pray for this neighbor who just fell or whatever it may be. But what I found after we, for example, went through the mental illness chapter and we began to talk about the the deep seated um, issues that are a part of our community and part of many families um, in our church that people had never really talked about before. I began hearing prayer requests for the first time ever for, you know, a child who went away to a treatment center because of an eating disorder or someone in the community who tried to commit suicide last week and we really want to come around their family. I mean, it was, you know, it seems like not a big deal, but to us it was, it was huge. Um, and we just all began to feel differently about each other, you know, which is really the hope of Brave Church. Well, you know, there's so much pain that doesn't get unearthed, right? You know, yeah. and dealt with. And, yeah. uh, you know, as you said, all so many churches and organizations in general are just, you know, reticent to address things that are pretty serious that need to be addressed. Right. Right. So and there's people suffering, you know, and feeling yeah. like nobody sees them. They feel alone. I mean, that's, that was my experience. I mean, I was the pastor for goodness sake and going through these, you know, miscarriage after miscarriage and failed infertility treatment, you know, you know, it was, I remember the Christmas Eve that I was, had just had a child, a, a experience of loss. And I was supposed to be preaching and I was so angry that there was a baby that somebody had put in, you know, of course it's Jesus. I get it. But in a manger on the altar. And I was like, if I have to preach looking at a baby, you know, it was so painful, but I somehow willed myself into, to doing it. But that kind of pain, like how can we not begin to learn how to talk about it? You know, that we can say, um, you know, I'm really struggling right now, or my family's struggling, or my neighbor just had this devastating thing happen to them, or, you know, my cousin feels unsafe in their home, and I'm trying to figure out how to get them out without them mm. dying, you know, like, that's, that's just such important conversation, more than the things that I think that we talk about, you know, in our own Zoom coffee hours these days, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, totally agree, totally agree. So who would you say is the primary audience for the new book? Well, I have thought about that, and I think there's two audiences. One, um, it's for pastors or church leaders that feel frustrated with the division um, and the divide in our country. Those who are looking for a tool, a very practical tool, because that's what Brave Church is, about how to begin to not have a church that feels so, well, we can't mention this or people are going to leave, you know, it's for brave church leaders who, who want to really uh, lead on this topic. But I think this book is also for those who have experienced one of the situations that I write about in brave church, that be infertility and miscarriage, um, domestic violence, mental illness, racism, or sexuality. I hope that brave church can be used as a tool of reconciliation <laughs> between a person and their faith community for a person who's experienced one of these issues and doesn't feel like their church is safe, much less brave, that they could take brave church and they could go to their pastor or church leader or someone in their life and say, will you please read this book and, and understand what it has felt like for me to be both a part of a faith community and also struggling um, with this issue. So um, your book is scheduled to release on June 1st. 
Yes. And, um, you know, we're just kind of emerging from the pandemic. Um, I've been doing interviews. <laughs> Yay, there's the book. There's the book. It's real. It's real. Yay. Um, I've been doing these interviews, you know, for the last over a year during the pandemic, you know, for people right. that were trying to launch a book when you couldn't do book tours or signings and things like that. Right. Are you able to set up more in-person events now or is it more things like this online? I, I mean, I think people are inching closer toward, you know, thinking about in-person events. I had someone call me this week about something that's in the fall. And I think we begin to kind of think more about that with a positive tone these days as vaccinations increase. But I, I think, you know, um, I'm having a virtual book launch party, for example, you know, I mean, that's just what we do these days. And yeah, I'm trying to speak as much as I can on podcasts and other online settings um, with folks like you, because I think that's where we're spending so much of our time and, and we're gathering so much of our information about what's up and coming and happening these days. Good. Well, I hope it goes well. Um, Thank you. It's yeah. It's been challenging to, to launch books during this period of time. And no, I know. I mean, I, I have some friends that launched a book maybe like April or something of last year. And I was just, you just, your heart breaks for them because we were all in such a fog about everything in our Absolutely. life. Absolutely. Yeah. Just think about one more thing. Yeah. Right. Right. So um, I mentioned, you know, during the introduction that you lead an organization called Our Courageous Kids. Can you talk about that for a moment? Well, I think I um, said in the beginning that my husband used to be the, the CEO of Feed the Children, a, a large international NGO that was based in Oklahoma City. And um, when he left that work, one thing that we really um, discovered as a family um, was that our calling um, and, and mission was really um, connected with the children that we had met through that experience, in particular, the children who had grown up in orphanages that we had met. And so... It was one of those things where I was, you know, thinking like, well, should I do something or do you just let it go? And I had this amazing friend who had listened to me talk about my real passion for kids that I'd met, in particular, a group of kids in Kenya. And she sat me down and said, okay, I'm ready to write you a check and I'm ready to throw you a party <laughs> to raise money. When are you going to start doing something? <laughs> Like, okay, you don't not listen to those <laughs> conversations, right? And so that was in 2016. Where, um, yeah, it was 2016 when um, Our Courageous Kids was birthed and went through the whole process of becoming a nonprofit. And um, in, that, in that journey that I've had with Our Courageous Kids, we've been able to send um, two kids fully to college. Um, wow. One went to a master's program in London and one was a part um, – of a school here in the U S and, um, spent a lot of time with her, became like a daughter to us in that process. She spent all her breaks with my husband and I and my daughter. And, um, you know, I've learned a lot. And I say, uh, when I talk about our courageous kids now, uh, I talk not just about education and how important it is to empower kids, much like the foster care system in the U S when kids age out of international orphanages, there's no safety net for them. There's no one to invite them home for Christmas dinner or to, you know, help them buy their first car or help them go to college or have the tools they need for their success. But I've learned so much about mental um, illness from this mm. process and trauma. Mm. And even if a child grows up in the most fascinating, beautiful, supportive um, childcare center 
there's something that happens to the brains of these children when they're not in a um, loving, supporting individual family unit. Um, and, and the trauma that brought them to, to being abandoned by their families um, or their place of origin. And it's just heartbreaking how mentally um, you can give them the best educational opportunities in the world um, but if they are not in the right place to receive it mentally, it's going to mean nothing. Wow. And so I began supporting um, at a center, in addition to these scholarships, a center outside of Nairobi, a girl's home, um, a counseling program, so that the girls are able to um, begin to talk about their trauma and, and process it with a mental health professional so that they begin the process of healing. Uh, I, I, I'm so glad for what I've learned in this work. And I was just listening to the mental health special that Oprah did with Prince Harry. Have you seen that? It's on Apple. I haven't seen it. I've heard of it. But I it just came it. out this week and it was really fascinating to me. I was like, I must be onto something. Oprah said the same thing. <laughs> She's talking about starting her school, right? In South Africa and how she yeah. had this grand vision of, I'm just going to educate these girls. They grew up in poverty, just like me. And and how much she's learned from her experience of starting a school that it's not just about education. It's really mm. about mental health mm. um, and the amount of girls that she had to sit in psych wards with or um, suicides that she had to deal with of mm. girls talking about that um, just was mind blowing to her. And uh, I, I could echo that experience. Wow. Wow. Well, it's really so wonderful to hear about all the work that you're doing, Elizabeth, uh, you know, Congratulations on um, accomplishing so much. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I, I hope this, this whole idea of, you know, what I do is that I want to engage open-hearted Christians, which I know that you have a whole community of people around you that are of that um, genre. Um, I want to do whatever I can with it, whatever I write next um, that helps people have difficult conversations and helps people feel a sense of acceptance and belonging because I, I think the church does so much damage in that department that we, we don't help people feel accepted and included. And we need more voices like yours that are helping to heal our divides um, and helping people feel like God loves them. Just well, the you know, isn't that what church is supposed to do, right? I know, I know. Yeah, it's it's, it's amazing to yeah. me when it's a, it's a new concept, but. Um, <laughs> so um, I was going to just ask you, uh, if there are anything in terms of future books that you can talk about? Well, I think my next project, um, I, I have begun, um, I want to really write about family estrangement because that's been something that's a part of my own story, which people kind of look at me as much as people used to look at me. Now they're used to me talking about infertility and I'd be really honest about that. And they'd be like, Oh my God, you're, you're talking about that. Um, I think family estrangement is one of those other kind of difficult conversations um, uh, taboo topics. People don't talk about not having close relationships with their family of origin. But for me, that has been a really healing part of my own journey. Hmm. And I really want to dive deep into some theological research on chosen family and, and what the, what scripture I feel like has to say about that and what Jesus has to say about that. That could be really encouraging to people like me who have, um, lost that sense of connection to their biological family. For reasons of health and safety. Well, good for you for tackling another tough topic. <laughs> I, know. 
I know. I was telling my husband, I was like, I feel like I'm becoming that girl that talks about things that nobody wants to talk about. But um, well, but that's know. a good thing. I mean, right, right. Honestly, I mean, for several perspectives. I mean, maybe it's not good for marketing, but it does. No, it's it's it's, it's good because you're you know fulfilling a need, right? Right. And right. It's also, from, I mean, since I teach um, how to market, you know, for, right. for authors, you know what you're talking about is really strategically smart. (laughs) Seriously. And it it really comes out of, I mean, you don't, you know what it's like uh, with all the authors that you talk to, you know, it's such a huge undertaking to write a book and to publish a book and all the things that go into it. And it's not something you want to do unless you really have your heart in it. Yes. Yeah. Because it, it, you know, I have some author friends. We like, well, how many, how much do I work for an hour? And sometimes we feel like it's like less than a penny, you know, but we do it because we we feel passionate about what we have to say. That's what it takes. There's yeah. no question that's what it takes because it's a long road and it takes a lot of patience and perseverance, a lot of work. Right. And, and a lot of multi multi skills. Sometimes we think, you know, I you know, I, I don't wanna I don't have enough skills, you know, I don't wanna learn something new, but um, it, it really is more than just actually writing, although that's extremely important um, as you teach. Good, good. Well, Elizabeth, um, really great to meet you and, you know, learn about the work that you do. I'm so impressed and, and, and grateful for all that you've done. So thank you for that. Thank you.